Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Binstown TV. This is Jim here with my partner, Luke. And today we have a very special guest with us to talk some WandaVision. I've known this guest for 20 years. He's one of my best friends, and he's the reason why I got into the comics and Marvel Universe. Paul, on podcast, I think episode one, made a joke about me being the Binstown TV comic book juggernaut. But whatever I'm considered, multiply this guy by infinity. We at Binstown TV considered him to be a subject matter expert in Marvel Comics, so we're super happy to have him on to talk some theories and comics with us. Zach, welcome to the podcast, homie. Hey, what's going on, Jim? What's going on, Luke? Not sure I can uh, live up to that billing, but I will, uh, I'll try my best. Happy to be here. Dude, we're glad to have you, man. We were talking you up last podcast episode, but <laughs> when it comes to comic book experts, man, I don't, I don't know anyone better than you. So we're ready to <laughs> bounce all of our theories, whether they're super tinfoily or pretty obvious, and just see what you think about the how it's based on the source material. We'll just talk kind of through co- some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, kind of, you know, what's cool about, you know, comics, but WandaVision in particular is that, you know, we can get into some very specific, you know, things with regard to the plot and where it's going and like comic references, but there's also kind of a lot of higher level considerations having to do with things that are outside the text that kind of inform where it's going. And those kind of things interest me a lot as well. And I know the fellow residents of Bingetown, you guys will be talking about, you know, trailers and interviews and things. So going beyond just what's there on the screen is uh, half the fun. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the fact that we're talking about Agatha Harkness so much is totally outside of the out of the show. And right. and we just talked about in this latest episode, maybe we talked about her too much. <laughs> it, it is funny, though, right? Because like this, this series could conclude there could be no relation at all to Agatha Harkness. And anybody who's uh, not invested in the comics would not feel slighted at all. And we'd be sitting there going, what the hell? You tease that so much. And, and you know, yep. that's just kind of there's so many Easter eggs that can be. Uh, dropped in there that can can make you think one thing or another so you know which ones are red herrings and which ones are actually indicative of where it's going it's it's hard to say i was just gonna say that that's the hardest thing to tell is just what marvel's actually doing there are they bringing in evan peters as just a nod to fans outside of the story or are they doing this to you know actually bring in the fox universe and start merging some of these worlds that we know in real life the licenses and deals are starting to exchange hands to the right people so right they could be like you're saying red herrings are real who knows and, and you can make the case either way and you can make a pretty compelling case you know i've got my thoughts but i really don't know where it's going but you know i think that's half the of the enjoyment of the viewing experience for me yeah i mean let's just we might as well just talk about the elephant in the room now so in the latest podcast episode we briefly actually not briefly we pretty much got into it about whether this is going to be evan peters as mephisto evan peters as himself from the fox universe or evan peters oh wait we wish we had aaron taylor johnson you know and we kind of took the Fox Evan Peters off the table after this latest episode. We're down now to the Mephisto option and the Aaron Taylor Johnson option. And I know, Zach, I talked to you off podcast and you were one of the ones that talked me into even more so that it's probably just we they wish they had Aaron Taylor Johnson. Evan Peters is kind of a wink and a nod. You have to have Quicksilver. So if you can have Quicksilver, you might as well get Evan Peters to do it since you have the license of Fox. But it's not necessarily going to be that. Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from it. But it is funny, Jim, because like if we purely look at the dialogue that happens between, you know, Pietro and Wanda in episode six, I think they kind of make it pretty clear to the viewers, at least if we're, if we're purely judging it by what's on the screen, you know, and we believe that this Pietro is a, is a reliable narrator, which I kind of think he is because he's really not doing any anything to hide his understanding of the fact that this all isn't real mm-hmm. you know, to him. 
he was the MCU version of Quicksilver. He died. He heard Wanda calling him. There he is, right? So I don't think that, you know, as far as resolving the story in three remaining episodes, I, I don't think that him being, you know, a multiverse pulled in version of Quicksilver, you know, from the Fox universe would like, I don't think there's really the time for it. I don't think it would actually be satisfying at this point. But at the same point in time, I mean, you end episode four on a on a cliffhanger that requires outside, like you could be the biggest MCU fan in the world. You could have watched every single MCU movie and you are required to have outside understanding of who Evan Peters is in the other universe for that to land, right? So I don't think that this closes the door off entirely from them doing anything with the mutants and the Fox license, but I would say we're purely talking about what I think would make for a satisfying resolution to this particular arc. I just don't see how they're going to do it. Yeah, now let me ask you a quick question. So I'm in agreement with you now 100% that I really just don't think it's going to be the Fox Evan Peters. I still want to keep the Mephisto thing on the table just for a couple of reasons that we've talked about in other episodes. But if we're going to say that this is the Aaron Taylor Johnson version, the MCU version of Evan P- of I'm sorry, Quicksilver, why do they make him act like the Fox version? So say okay. say for example, and we talked about this in the last podcast, but I really want to know your thoughts. For example, he has the New York accent. Whatever. That could be Evan Peters' version of Quicksilver. I don't really care. But Vision doesn't remember dying. Vision doesn't remember anything before Westview. If he's the same reincarnated version of a dead body, why does he have any kind of memory? And also, Peter versus Pietro, as far as I know, Quicksilver didn't call himself Peter in the MCU. And also, he didn't act at all like the one in this show is acting. No, he didn't. And I think that, that that's got to be a conscious decision, right? Because, you know, when we, when we, it's funny that you mentioned in the previous pod about like, oh, well, was it just a choice to uh, de-emphasize her Sokovian accent, you know, on the part of Elizabeth Olsen. And then we clearly see in episode three, or maybe that was four, I can't remember which it was, but, oh, wait a minute. No, like that is a, a deliberate choice that they've made as, as per the direction. So Quicksilver being out of character with regard to his previous MCU incarnation that's not something that made it by the editors by accident, right? Like, I, right. I think I, I don't think you're looking too deeply in there. I guess where I would go with my thoughts on that one is that if we, I mean, and, and you know, uh, when he first shows up the door, he asks who Vision is. I mean, yep. if that's, if that, if he, if yeah, he's exactly. the, you know, the version from the MCU, he met Vision in, in Age of Ultron before being killed. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of getting into plot territory here and I'll, I'll, I'll throw my, you know, my thoughts out. Like, I think we're supposed to believe that these are not, you know, if, we, if we're going to go down the realm of whatever kind of Mephisto a- angle there is, whether by name or by the concept of like, hey, these two children were created and they lack a soul or, or they do have a soul that was, you know, imparted upon them artificially. Right. What does it mean to have a soul? Like, I think it's kind of clear that if, you know, Wanda can't, quote, bring people back from the dead, yet we're seeing Quicksilver and Vision. Well, maybe this is not an actual reincarnated version of them, but this is her taking her, you know, inner projection of what she believes their personality to be. But, you know, with some flaws and maybe kind of, you know, things kind of skipping here and there because she's it's, she's finding it harder to do this. It's her trying to kind of implanting her, her memories of them onto these ciphers, whether it be, you know, Vision's destroyed body or whoever Evan Peters is supposed to be in the MCU, you know, so that's, that's certainly one plausible explanation. I mean, it's also interesting because if we're talking about, you know, the TV show sitcom, (laughs) 
point, she's literally casting her show. So she can cast Quicksilver, and he says it himself. You need your long-lost brother to come in and stir up some problems with the bro-in-law and, right. and you know mess with the kids, whatever. So maybe she's just picking what she wants his his actual personality to be, and we don't have to get too into it about it being, okay, it's not Aaron Taylor Johnson. But that's a good point too. Let me ask a question then. So if this version of Quicksilver is basically quote unquote cast it like the vision is, does that mean we're all in the same mindset that Quicksilver can't exist outside of the hex and there's no future for him past WandaVision? I think that's a really good guess because if we're, if we're to take what happened to vision at the end of the most recent episode with, you know, if we read it, not necessarily as the hex killing him, but as his presence outside the hex kind of reverting her control and him just going back to being a scrap of metal, then who's to say the same thing wouldn't be true to Pietro, who is dead. I think that's yeah. that's probably where it's headed. And I guess that contradicts the popular theory that Wanda's hex could eventually can you know encompass the entire world. Because then I guess in that scenario, we would release Vision and Evan Peters to something past WandaVision, if the Hex, you know, yeah. the MCU that, permanently. That, I, think, I think the size of the Hex was not really anything I was considering, but given the, the most recent cliffhanger and the fact that the three remaining episodes are an hour each, it does seem to me that, okay, to, to take a, a step uh, toward kind of character motivation for a second, like, I think that, you know, Jack Schaefer and, and, and Matt Shackman in creating WandaVision have been very deliberate in saying, Yes, you know, this is Wanda doing this, but we, we want to, you know, she's kind of been underserved in the comics and, and frankly in the movies as well, right? I mean, sure, you know, we hardcore fans recognize them from their previous appearances, but if you're somebody who just kind of catches a Marvel movie when it's on TNT, I mean, you could tune into WandaVision and go, you know, which ones are they again? So they kind of have their, their work cut out for them for making sure that these are characters that are being served with a genuine arc, right? And the tough thing about Wanda that you were saying, like, if she is the quote, big bad is like, okay, well you can't have redemption, not on the table. And you also don't want it to just be, Oh, Wanda went crazy because then she has no agency over her doing this. And, and I think they're, they're kind of trying to walk that tightrope, right. Where she is a troubled person. And she doesn't have full control of what is happening, but this is not her purely losing her mind. You know, this is her having some deep sorrow that she's trying to deal with in the way that she knows how. So if we kind of separate that as we go on with the remaining three episodes and like the threat becomes less Wanda and more her helping to make it so that the size of the hex stops increasing, that could be a way that they can kind of pivot and keep the central, you know, conflict, which is the hex, but kind of make Wanda also be instrumental in stopping it. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think Luke, in the last podcast, we did discuss maybe, you know, the hex expanding as one of the climaxes of the season, maybe expanding to the whole world. And then there's still the question of what happens if you incapacitate her. So if Monica Rambo or somebody infiltrates it and somehow incapacitates her, the the actual hex could disappear, but the effect on everybody, if it's going to be the X gene activation could still be there. And then we still lose vision and Quicksilver and she's still going to have to um, figure out how she's going to deal with the loss of vision for real. Yeah, for sure. Like, you you give her the ability to kind of, you know, you, you kind of have your cake and eat it too, right? She's now starred in a series where you get to, you know, see what she would have liked with these characters that are already off the board by other kind of, you know, editorial or, or, or plot mandates. But then when all said and done, it's not just an undo button. She's going to have to come to terms with it. And that turns it from a story about, oh, Wanda went crazy again to that actually makes her kind of the owner of the tale in that she's the one who also has to, to to live with that, with that sorrow and try to find a way to 
be whole again. Yeah, I mean, I, I figure it has to end in that way or you have to involve another antagonist like Mephisto or something because, like you said, redemption needs to be on the table for someone like Scarlet Witch because you know that, say, you know, she's going to be involved in the MCU from now on. And if you can't sure. make her just be like, hey, I went crazy. <laughs> and then, hey, I'm back on the Avengers for Avengers 4 in a couple of years. You know, it right. just has to be some kind of redemption arc or some kind of someone pulling the strings on her. She can't be the full on big, bad, evil situation. You know, terrible. I wouldn't. I I agree with you guys completely. And if you'll indulge me here, that is kind of a launching point for kind of maybe, you know, honestly, some of the problems that Wanda has had in the comics, you know, kind of throughout her entire publishing history that maybe maybe WandaVision can actually make some decisions here, kind of knowing the missteps that were taken in the past that can benefit the character in, in, in multiple mediums. Right. So, you know, I, I, you guys have talked about kind of the influences on WandaVision from the comics. I think, you know, we'll get into House of them because clearly purely on a plot level, I mean, that, that has a lot of the same um, features of it, but you know, the original story of Wanda's children and the involvement of Mephisto was, you know, West coast Avengers by John Byrne in 1989. And it was just like a five issue run so, you know, when the reveal happened in, in West Coast Avengers that the children weren't hers and they were magical constructs and, and Mephisto reabsorbed them, that was kind of that. You know, funny enough, to if we're talking about uh, Fantastic Four, you know, potential Easter eggs, in that same story, when I was refreshing my memory of it, Franklin Richards, uh, who was Reed Richards and, and Sue Storm's uh, son from the Fantastic Four, had a battle with Mephisto where he lost some of his other life shards, which then in turn... You know, made him try to reabsorb the ones from Scarlet Witch, which, you know, quote unquote, killed him. It didn't actually write its comics. But, you know, it's not until 2005 with the Young Avengers series that Billy Kaplan and Tommy Shepard were reincarnated. And they were not actually born, you know, to Scarlet Witch. They were born to completely other families, you know, naturally. But their soul and their kind of, you know, creation and their mutant powers were from uh, you know, the original Scarlet Witch storyline in 1989. But I think if you think about the length of time that passed right there, it kind of speaks to, but wait a minute, this was just kind of like something that should have been fundamental to the character's growth and you just ignore it for over a decade. Like, it's just so funny to think back to the 90s comics, right? Like, you know, I know I myself got into comics in the 90s and there was a big boom, but it also kind of coincided with a lot of really poor stories and, and Heroes Reborn and Onslaught and all these different things that kind of, took the focus away from the characters actually having, you know, these kind of well thought out arcs and it was a clone saga and, you know, piling stuff on top of each other to keep introducing more characters so you could make action figure sales. Right. So even in the nineties, you know, when comics were booming and many of us look back on them finally because of the, the Fox animated series and things of that nature, you were already kind of starting to see a world where what was on the page was being in many cases negatively influenced by what was happening outside the page. In this case, you know, Marvel, uh, had a merger with Toy Biz. So a lot of the like, editorial direction was, well, we need to be able to make action figures off of these characters. And, you know, edit, editorial groups were changing hands every couple of months and they're just making up the clone saga as they go. And is Scarlet Witch in the X-Men books? Is she in the Avengers books? Nobody knows, right? So you kind of create this, this character who's just kind of um, just a, a shell of what she used to be. So you come around to 2005 and the big thing that happened there in the real world was, a lot of people find it so hard to believe these days, given how big Disney is, but Marvel filed for bankruptcy, like Marvel yeah. filed for bankruptcy in the late nineties. And it wasn't until they were able to 
you know, sell the rights of Spider-Man to Sony yep. and sell the rights of the X-Men, the Fantastic Four to Fox, that they were able to get their footing back. And that failure of their publishing arm that required them to sell in the 90s has pretty much informed to some degree every single publishing, licensing, and kind of you know, big screen adaptation from here on out. And it's just really crazy to think about, right? Like you think 2005, this is in the new era of okay, we made it through the turn of the century, you know, we almost got all the comics canceled and all right, we've kind of pared down our publishing line. Joe Casada came over as editor-in-chief and was trying to hire a lot more indie writers and, and artists to try to appeal to a newer, uh, you know, older audience, right? So you come to, to 2005 with House of M and Brian Michael Bendis, who had just been given the reins to take over the Avengers, which was perennially, you know, you think of the Avengers as kind of the marquee characters of Marvel. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were perennially a lower selling title than the X-Men. They were less popular than Spider-Man. They really didn't have the juice and you know, you'll have different people reporting different things, but I think it's pretty undeniable to look at some of the choices and retrospect they made then. And there was clearly editorial decisions from on high saying, we got to de-emphasize the X-Pen and we got to pump up the adventures. And Brian, like Brian Michael Bendis, when faced with kind of, all right, well, the end result of what I have to do here is kind of out of my hands, but how can I try to make this actually organic? And he kind of stumbled upon like, all right, well, I don't have any interest in writing Scarlet Witch in my version of Avengers, probably because she's been poorly written for the last decade so i don't care about her but maybe she could be you know a vehicle to kind of take mutants off the board because hey isn't it kind of weird that she's oh my, my children are fake all right i guess let's just go back to being an avenger exactly yeah. what you said jim right the mcu doesn't have like you can't do that in the mcu because these things are very targeted releases when you have 50 different series each pumping out an issue or two a month you know, okay, I, I just drop West Coast Avengers because I don't care about that storyline. I come back in and check on Scarlet Witch two years from now, and if she's fine, then I just assume that she, she worked it out. <laughs> yeah, work in the MCU. <laughs> right, exactly. So I just think it's kind of funny to think about. We enter a world where, okay, uh, this is the first venture into a brand new format. You know, this is Disney Plus. This is a a you know half hour to an hour weekly series, and even though it happened a little while ago, a lot of the kind of the phase three movies that have been coming out were already kind of in production before everything got finalized with uh, Disney acquiring 20th Century Fox, right? So this is the first time from the inception of the project that everybody knows, hey, we've got these rights and we need to think about something to do with it. So everybody having kind of different suspicions about what that means for bringing in the X-Men characters. I mean, yeah, you might be reaching, but I think you're crazy not to think about that because I'm sure that they're talking about that in their boardroom too, right? Like yeah. there's there's a financial implication to how they want to go about this. And I just find it so cool that the kind of guts of the storyline that started as an editorial mandate to de-emphasize the mutants is if it's not going to you know do it through WandaVision, it's at least going to lay the groundwork for how they could do it in the MCU to do the exact opposite. Yep, and it's just purely because of the of the rights changing hands. Yep, exactly. I mean, that was the crazy thing about Wandavision being about House of M personally for me because you got me started reading comics, and the first thing I bought was Avengers Disassembled trade paperback, and then right. we we started going into House of M and Astonishing X Men and and New Avengers and all that stuff. So Wandavision's hit me in the feels, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a time where. A lot of people our age, you know, may have lapsed from the hobby and kind of got back into them because those were, were not all those stories hold up today on every aspect, but like they were really well marketed, well drawn, you know, stories. And I still remember the 
final panel of page three with Hawkeye being in the in the universe drawn by Olivier Coipel. It's like that's just a really striking panel. And a lot of people yeah. say, oh, man, I got to I got to read this. And, you know, kind of thinking more along the lines of it's not just about what happened in the text. It's kind of about the subtext too. you know, Wanda, like you guys mentioned, she originated in the X-Men comic, right, as one of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And then throughout most of her publishing history, she was over in Avengers world. So if you're somebody like, you know, in your early, you know, early adulthood, early thirties, whatever, and you grew up on the X-Men, imagine you're reading the X-Men all through this time. You don't really have to give a shit about Scarlet Witch because she's not really, you know, you could have in the nineties with how many X books there were, you could have just been, I'm an X-Men guy. And then you come to house of him and Scarlet Witch is just coming out of left field and wiping all your favorite mutants out. Right. Like it, that goes beyond just kind of what happened in the text. That's like people were posting to message boards furious about, oh, my God, I hate Scarlet Witch. This is terrible because it felt like, you know, somebody else coming over and like kicking over your sandcastle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about a redemption arc, right, they really need to think about that right now, because I think that they kind of they had the end game they wanted. And I think really, think, you know, yeah, it's comics, right? We'll, we'll rehabilitate Scarlet Witch eventually. I mean, she really hasn't rehabilitated to this day. Yeah, there was an entire miniseries, and I believe you read Jim in 2010, Young Avengers: The Children's Crusade. Yeah, where the entire point of it was to try to explain that, uh, well, actually, Doctor Doom had been influencing her and trying to make her go this way, and then she goes back in time and saves Ant Man before Jack of Hearts blows up. Nobody references that because when yeah. you're writing a story that is just about continuity surgery, nobody cares. They don't remember that. They, they remember the page that says no more mutants. No so, more mutants. So they can do whatever they want in continuity to try to like rectify the character. But the damage has been done. People yep. think that she's just, oh, she's the one who went crazy and wiped out all the mutants. And I don't like her very much. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was trying to say in the last podcast. There, And I said it a little bit earlier. There has to be some kind of redemption on the table or have someone pulling the strings because like you said, I actually didn't have the confirmation until just now, but she still has that stigma however many years later. Right. And that's despite, you know, writers trying to steer her back away from that that storyline. And, and it you doesn't know, matter. It's perception. You know, yeah, you know Kevin Foggy and the MCU don't want her to have any stigma like that because Elizabeth Olsen, she's a freaking juggernaut for acting and for as as wanda so you think there's just no risk in doing the reverse house of m move and having her have any of this this ill will towards her it just won't be the same because she's bringing the mutants there and putting them in the spotlight as opposed to taking away the favorite characters i think the end result um definitely matters as far as how it's going to be a launch pad for other stories but with with pure respect to wanda it's entirely in the execution of it right in these last three episodes so like if you think about it, what she did in House of M, while potentially justified by what happened to her children, I mean, people died. Like she took people's powers away. Like there's a, a Jim was the talking about it in, in the yeah yeah the blob skins falling off himself. You know, Jim was talking about the the decimation one shot that came out after. You know, a mutant that could fly was over a volcano and just lose the ability to fly and just crashes to his death. Like I still, know, I mean, I still have the scene the, the the actual page in my head of the blob saying i can't cut through my skin yeah, i can't he's get a, it he's off because dusty he's... hotel room just trying to kill himself because he's so miserable and he can't even do it <laughs> yeah like it, they, they they leaned into how dark it was right and i think that the x-men editorial group at the time had justification for doing so wait a minute like okay you know we're on board with this but like we got to completely redo our entire line let's lean into like how important this is but in doing so 
you implicate Wanda. And if you think about, you know, how they're, they're going to execute that in WandaVision, I, I apologize. You know, you guys, as of the time of this recording, I have not been able to listen to the most recent Binge Town. But I'm curious if, what your guys' thoughts were on the advertisement, like the animated advertisement in that episode. Yes. Um, so we did talk about it, but I'd like to hear yours because I brought up I brought up a few things about Mephisto. Actually, I want you to go. You tell us your, your thing and then could be wrong, but here's my so okay. It, you know, it's claymation or or you know, CGI to look like claymation. So clearly it's supposed to be kind of like the kind of cartoon you'd see, you know, kind of advertisement you see during Saturday morning cartoons, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, yo magic yogurt. So I think it's kind of at the surface level, it's it's kind of implica- it's uh, indicating rather that oh hey Billy's about to get his magical powers, but the fact that it then shows like the person not able to eat it and they just turn to bones, I was wondering if that means like think about the people you know we learn that Wanda's influence is, is less strong the further from the center of town you get because she needs to just kind of make sure she has enough cast members to make the story go. Everybody on the outskirts is kind of like you know doing repetitive tasks, right? Well, like, are they eating? Are these people starving to death because oh, they're just yeah. standing there? So I thought that could have been an indication that, like, these people are dying and she doesn't realize it. Not think of that at all. Yeah, I was going, me and Luke were going more on, on some kind of a Mephisto thing and, and, and not necessarily all Mephisto. I had, like, thoughts that I wanted it to be about the hex and stuff, but I just couldn't put into words. But I really like how you just said that. So I'm glad... We're having a third option because I know Paul too was like honestly Paul had Paul had something to say about the hex too but he was like I don't really know either what to, what to say about this just the fact that it's a freaking dark commercial right and so I, I could be wrong there but I do think that like and it doesn't necessarily discount Mephisto but again it's all in the execution like I think we we know pretty definitively at this point that Wanda is consciously doing all this now the degree to which she really understands the damage she is causing. I think we're going to learn that as it goes on. And the fact that she can't control her children, doesn't remember how it started, doesn't know anything about how she created Quicksilver, even though clearly, you know, Quicksilver told us she's the one that did it. Right. Right. That does not close the door for another uh, factor to be at play here. But I think it's just really important that they, they don't minimize Wanda and they do look, this is how strong she is. And this was born of like, her being wrong like whatever they were doing with vision's body was desecrating it and like oh yeah buck sword like she's right to go get him yep so they can paint her in that picture but then maybe if they then reveal a certain plot reason of like the actual physical damage she's doing and she has to give up her perfect life and lose vision and quicksilver to save these people i mean that's that's the ultimate avengers story yeah and i'm guessing at some point we're gonna get what happened between Endgame and when she breaks into the sword facility? Because somehow she's going to have to have the intel. But can you imagine loving someone like Vision, breaking through the doors to find him in pieces, being yeah. tested on, and and oh, it's crazy. Making, making God knows what kind of weapons. Like I mean, you know, I, I think that it, yeah, I, I I foresee a reveal coming there that will make the ultimate fact that this is not going to. I think we can all guess this. The, the anomaly is not going to last. And rather than playing it as like, oh man, the whole point of this was to get to a new status quo where she activated the X gene, where she did that, this, or she did that. And like, whatever happened to her, doesn't matter. She's just a plot device. You now make it, oh man, like look at what Wanda had to give up to do the right thing. You can have your kick and eat it too, though, because you can have some kind of post-credit thing that maybe lays the groundwork for Mephisto, mutants, whatever. But 
to me, it's not going to be satisfying unless it works as a, a Wanda full story or above all else. Let me uh, bring up a question that I just thought of as you were going through that, because back to them taking apart vision and that being the whole catalyst to start Wanda's trip through Wanda vision. Is there any possibility that we're going to take a repetitive route towards towards a path where sword is going to become evil like shield was earlier in the MCU? And do you find that possibility as kind of, I don't want to say boring, but it feels like it's going to be a recycled version of what Captain America had to go through in dealing with Hydra infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. I just don't want that to be the path. And I know that's the the backbone of WandaVision was Sword doing some shady shit with Vision. And I don't want that to be too much of what drives the future of the MCU. Yeah, I think that's a good point that and I think, it, you know, if we're being honest with like a lot of these Marvel acronym shady agencies just, you know, do bad shit over their history. You know, whether you had talked in earlier episodes about is the beekeeper a nod to AIM? Yeah, like, yeah, I think it was. I don't think AIM's going to be in this story, but there's another shadowy cabal. And yeah, for all for all that S.H.I.E.L.D. are, are the world's police, I mean, the entire basis of civil war, both in the comics and and in, you know, the, the MCU was butting heads with S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, one thing I would like if they do go the direction of like, hey, S.W.O.R.D. is, is just in the wrong here, unquestionably and they're the enemy if they do do that and they take hayward off the board i would love to see abigail brand introduced in the mcu as the head of shield she's the uh, mutant character who runs excuse me head of sword she's a mutant character who runs sword in the comics so that could be a potential way where maybe you're retreading a little bit of the same territory but you get a nice outcome from it what's her abilities uh she's got green hair (laughs) (laughs) i'll be honest with you i honestly can't remember off the top of my head because her entire her entire bit is that like yeah she's a mutant but she doesn't feel any kind of like um any kind of pride like hides it doesn't have any interest in any kind of societal like assimilation with with mutant culture Mm -hmm. and you know we'll talk a little later about current goings-ons in the x-men universe but even more so nowadays where she's interested in just being top cop she doesn't want to you know lower herself to concerns that aren't, you know, world breaker type scenarios. I guess there's a situation with sword Luke, where you can say, all right, again, we're we made a mistake. We took vision and their, their, their whole side of the story is going to be like, why wouldn't we take vision to try to use him to make stuff to protect this world, you know, and then do the wrong thing and say like, he's just a machine. But at the same time, they're not, evil like hydra infiltrated so you could just say all right we were wrong we screwed up let's freaking move on it's it's like a a bad undertone but it's not like actually hey we're an evil organization that you have to fight like you said you take hayward out you put your girl in zach and then you're good because we talked about this before sword gets introduced and all of a sudden you're gonna say all right they're evil they got introduced for what one movie so far Right. right already make them evil i don't know if we need that we have plenty of pe- villains that we can use <laughs> that's here. what i'm saying i'm with you there yeah now and, and it's funny too jim because i think that i agree with that and then also your part about like hey they can make the case that well, who cares he, he's just a robot he wasn't a human i think that's a really effective emotional through line that i want to kind of see like hey wanda your kids aren't real they don't have a real soul like oh well vision was just a robot you know that the, the Tom King vision series by Tom King and, and, and Gabriel Walta in 2015, phenomenal, phenomenal series. Anybody who has never read a comic before, go on to your comicsology app right now, 
get the vision series by Tom King. It's a, it's a standalone series. It's phenomenal. It, Scarlet Witch is not a huge part of it, but it, it does have the kind of uh, sitcom type tropes of, you know, vision being in a suburban neighborhood and he builds himself a family. And it's ultimately an extremely depressing story about how he is not a human. And yeah. But Sparky's from that, you know, Sparky dot like they, they take yeah. kind of some of the cues from that stylistically. So, so wait, you're saying you don't think Sparky's Mephisto. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say you're high, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so you're giving me the red, the red light on that one. <laughs> Give me the red right. light on that one. Wait, but, so, uh, so why you brought it up, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the kids, Wiccan and Speed, who I don't know too much about them in comic version. But I'm very curious at just your thoughts of how they're going to play a part into the, the future. And they're obviously are these are they good to go outside the hex as is right now? Or is there going to have to be some more story and background involved, potentially leaving the Mephisto on the table? But who knows? I think they'd be wise to leave Mephisto on the table and kind of just keep it an open ended thing about, you know, hey, wait a minute. If maybe it could even be kind of when ultimately the the anomaly that hex is disposed of to be like hold on everything went back to normal but like we're trying we have the we've already seen that um sword has the full accounting of here are all the residents and they could be like well there are two kids that were taken over and became this they were just actually created where are they and they could leave it open as to are they out there or not you know because i think if, if we're just purely thinking about it in terms of kind of again you know, going outside the, the, the screen or the text. Like if you look at the release schedule, it's like, well, they're, you know, they're not going to reference it in Captain America and Winter Soldier. They're not going to reference it in Shang-Chi. I don't know how much you want to just like, you know, put them front and center and then, yep, you'll see them in 2023, you know? Yeah. So in I feel credits, like it might be kind of, kind of open-ended. <laughs> yeah. And the critics, Speed and Wick and we'll be back in five years. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. You actually just said this and I want to talk about this too really quick. They're identifying the uh, residents of Westview. Okay, and we made it such a big deal that they had this board and Dottie wasn't on it. Everyone else was not Dottie, but even her husband was. But Agatha was on Agnes was on there with no identification. So we have two that it seems like that they're purposely leaving out. We've never seen Dottie again. I'm I'm so torn on Dottie, right? Because like I do find it strange that we haven't seen her again. And that could mean something that could also just have been like. Hey, we want to do the TV trope of like the, you know, the other uh, stuck up neighbor you're trying to impress. And we need a, a meeting place where, where Jimmy Wu can break through to Wanda. Right. Like I could see either one being being true. We could never see Dottie again. And she was I just don't understand why. Yeah. Why would they put her husband on the board, but not her? That's the thing that we, yeah. were trying to, you know, and then also Agnes is on the board, but she's the only one not identified. And we're kind of getting into this thing during this last podcast episode, you know, after her recent scene with vision. Yeah. There's still something sketchy going on, but at the same time, are we, did we put too much emphasis on her for the past five podcast episodes? I don't think you guys did. Right. I mean, it's Catherine Hahn. Like that's a, yeah. that's a, an actress that's well-known. Every episode has at least one interaction with her where they make it clear that she knows more than she's letting on um, whether she's Agatha Harkness or not. I mean, there will have to be, you know, plot details as to, who she is and, and, and what she knows. Yeah. Now I want your opinion on this as well. We made it such a big deal that Agnes in episode five 
stopped Wanda and was like, hey, uh, should we take that back? Do you want to change? You know, and then we were like, all right, that has to be because she's Agatha Harkness. She has to be part of this in a different way. But then Herb does it in this episode where he's like, hey, Wanda, do you need anything changed? And we always thought that when you're under the spell, you're not aware of this. You're, You're aware of it in your head, but you're not acting it out at any time. Yeah, it's funny too, right? Because we we've seen that uh, Vision, you know, in a, in a nod to House of M, can kind of pull a Layla Miller and make people remember what their life was like outside of the bubble, and then undo it as well. But clearly, he didn't do that to Herb and Agnes because they're the ones that are kind of like being weird with him in episode yeah. uh, in episode three. So I, I don't I don't I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Gotta be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, I hope it's not lazy writing and we're just bringing too much emphasis to it, but I don't know. I think Agnes has a part to play. Cause like you're saying, she's in, she's getting way too much screen time for it to be a waste. Like the Mr. Hart character, the norm character, they're kind of just one-offs. They don't right. need to mean anything. They could be little Easter eggs at any point, but Agnes feels like too much. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say, like, I'm just trying to think about it. Besides Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, is she the only other actor who's been in every episode? I guess she, I guess she wasn't in episode four. <laughs> where none of the people inside the hex were in it. it yeah, I guess all... since since Jimmy Woo and I guess Monica has been in it for almost every episode as well. But you're right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, but she... you're talking about people in the actual town, right? That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Or, or yeah, any, anybody who's just been in it to the degree she has can't, yeah. can't just be, you know, nothing. Right, right. But, you know, as, as we're talking about all these theories here and like, I love it, right? That's I'm sure you guys love it too. The audience loves it. That's part of the, of the fun of this series. Like, you think about again going to the okay what are all the different you know whether they be long-term planning aspects you know all the different outside factors that come to make this the way it is like okay hey you know we're launching a streaming service can you guys you know what should the first series be right i'm sure that came up in in internal talks and oh wouldn't it be cool if we did this and we also kind of had homages to all these different you know sitcoms as well right so like people like us that are really invested in the mcu it's like red meat for us. And, and I honestly think that, you know, I'm an old head, right? People want to watch things and watch the whole season when it drops. I love the one a week format. It takes me back to like when I was watching Lost air and half the fun is like talking about what it might mean even more so than what you watch half the time. I think that's such a good, you know, viewing experience for WandaVision. And I'm really happy they did that, but I don't, I don't think that was just kind of like something they did, you know, offhandedly i think that they the 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 pacing and the beats of the series are are made such that you watch it at that pace and i guess i'm just kind of curious if you guys have come around to kind of the the presentation style of the show beyond just kind of what's happening in it yeah so i'll be the first one to admit i was very pessimistic after the first viewing experience with the first two episodes and I was nervous, man. I was definitely nervous. <laughs> and episode three gave us a little bit more, but was it episode four that just blew my mind? And I yep. started to agree with what Jimmy was saying, where this could potentially be groundbreaking television and just the amount of money they're throwing at it. It just wouldn't, it just didn't make sense to me that it wasn't going to be awesome. And it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. We brought up in the podcast, people like Kathleen, one of our hosts, who's very casual to Marvel and the MCU. And it was very risky for them to do it the way they did it. And we talked about the fact that it must have been a calculated thing that they purposely made episode one and two be released at once. Because if Kathleen would have watched episode one, waited a week, then watched episode two, done. She would be done. For that, you kind of need the the prior knowledge, Easter eggs keeping you going. I was saying on the podcast 
just from the premise of the show and me trusting the MCU, I just knew that, you know, I just knew that it was going to be like groundbreaking. I just trusted it from the start. But at the same time, I, I understood where everyone was coming from saying, you know, it's a little slow. We're not really getting any plot movement really yet. And then episode three, I think with Luke and Paul and Dave, four is when it really nailed them. And for me, three is when I was like, all right, we're getting something. And now it's confirming what I said about episode one and two. And and I'm right there with you. But even in episodes one and two, I I found them fascinating because like, sure, like purely in terms of what I'm watching, it's like, hey, I don't know what I'm getting into here. Like, am I going to go back and rewatch those episodes? Probably not. Right. But it's what you said, like the faith that the MCU has built up, the faith in them that that is earned. I mean, they're swinging a big dick right now, right? Like they know exactly what they're doing and, and they, they are taking chances that would have been thought, you know, heinous, even, even just a decade ago. Like it it just fascinates me to kind of think about, you know, I guess Disney primarily, but really anybody trying to kind of shepherd these large, you know, tentpole serialized different franchises, like think back to some of the earlier comic book adaptations in particular. And, the name of the game is always like, okay, that's too comic booky. Like we need to cut this. We need to cut that. We need to make this palatable for a normal audience, right? Original X-Men, like fantastic movie in terms of what it did for the time. You go back and watch it today. That doesn't really hold up. Right. But yeah. like, you know, look at all the different considerations at the time. All the, well, they can't be wearing their costumes. we got to have them in leather jackets and, you know, early MCU. Sure. Like, you know, we're, we're starting with safe bets. We're going with Iron Man who, admittedly was not a hugely popular character in pop culture at the time, but he was a big deal in the comics. They knew kind of what made him tick. They got the right actor in Robert Downey Jr. And they kind of believed in it. Right. But you kind of get to a point now where like, if you think, you know, you introduced me as like, Oh, I'm a comics guru. Right. I mean, Marvel comics date back to the sixties. Right. So like, have I read 10% of all Marvel comics ever published? Like that's probably on the high end. I might have, but (laughs) If reading 10% of something, you know, if you watch 10% of the episodes of How I Met Your Mother, you wouldn't consider yourself an expert, right? But the, the, the sheer mass of content with comics make them more than they're almost like a modern myth, right? Like, they're, it's funny going back to the Scarlet Witch point about how they try to do as much continuity surgery as they could to make her not responsible for House of M, but it didn't matter. But it can work the other way too. Uncanny X Men in the early 2000s. The story called the Draco, which is probably the worst thing I've ever read in my life, which pretty much centers around Nightcrawler is actually uh. the devil, and he's the son of this devil mutant called Azazel, yeah. and Mystique's his mother, and he yep. was actually born thousands of years ago, and he's been going around trying to make all these teleporting mutants so they can open up a portal to hell and let him escape. You know, that like, one hurts my heart, dude. You're like, wait a minute, he's he's going so he's going to Earth to impregnate women to make teleporting mutants so he can then escape like he had to leave to go have sex with these women like the, the, the story makes no sense and they just never reference it again and people just sweep it under the rug right because yeah. that's comics there's so many nightcrawler stories like don't waste your time fretting over the bad ones in the mcu you can't do that but at the same time i mean it started back in 2008 right like we're getting to the point now where there's so much mcu content that they had a choice to make, right? They came to the end of an era with Endgame, a huge achievement of kind of continuity through these films. And you get to the natural point where some of the actors are aging out of the roles and some of the storylines come to a close. And 
I think they really had to look in the mirror and say, are we going to reboot this thing? Like, can we keep this going indefinitely? Because to do that, you're not wide appeal anymore. And I think once they realized that, like, we don't think we have to be wide appeal because we've already kind of like kind of anchored ourselves to the culture. Well, then WandaVision is just leaning right into that and doing weird shit just to do it. And I, I'm kind of like fascinated by it, like the balls yeah. to do it. Yeah, I mean, you were telling me off podcast how it is crazy where you're thinking about something that started in 2008. And if you're going to watch WandaVision, it's like, hey, did you did you watch Iron Man from 2008? <laughs> did you watch Thor one and two to see Darcy? Yeah. These the, all the, were the years Jimmy and Woo years ago. Trick. Like I saw Ant-Man yeah. and the Wasp. I didn't catch that the first time I watched oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the, yeah, the, I mean. The Lagos, um, you know, the Lagos, um, oh, the no. paper oh, towels for Lagos, stuff. right? Yeah, yeah. Like. I didn't remember right away that that was a reference to the Wakandan uh, ambassadors that she accidentally killed in Civil War. Because when I think Civil War, I'm thinking about Nitro blowing up a school in Stanford, Connecticut, right? So now God, you've got that was com- iconic, man. Now you've got competing continuities where somebody who's deeply invested in this stuff, I'm not even catching everything. I'm over my parents. I give them my Disney Plus login, and I, I'm like, all right, yeah, Dad, like, yeah, you like these Marvel movies? You can catch up on the ones you miss. Where do you leave off? He pulls it up. They're in alphabetical order. He's like, what order are these in? I'm like, <laughs> uh, like I can't even remember right away. Yeah. So like you get to a point where you either have to reboot it or you're going to just make something that is for the fans. And like, you know, hey, we trust that this is going to be part of the cultural lexicon. And if you don't get it, go back and watch the old ones. And I just yeah. think it's ballsy. And that's just, they're leaning into it, like you said, just like the comics do. I mean, right. comics do reboot when they need to reboot, but. And we're going to get even riskier with, um, these next couple steps with Doctor Strange 2 and then Spider-Man Multiverse. Because right. now, now you're putting it on the table. We can just have, you can do whatever the fuck you want now. There's no more rules. Once you start introducing, if if it's true, like Tobey Maguire comes back for a second and some of these villains from the older Spider-Man movies join this version of the MCU, they, they can do whatever they want. And that that is filled with so many cool possibilities, but it, it's also, they got to tread lightly. Because if you start making, it's like the, the snake eating its tail. If you're making stories about stories and like, it's not just enough to be an MCU fan, but I got to know about all the, like, I think it's cool that we know about all these different behind the scenes things with, with who has the rights and things. But like, as soon as that becomes required to actually understand what you're watching, I think that's a problem. We yes. haven't crossed that, that threshold yet, but they got to be careful with that. Yeah, see, I'm totally down if you want to, for example, do Spider-Man 3 and bring in Dr. Octopus. Uh, forgive me, I forget the actor's name. but uh, Alfred Molina. Yeah, but make him Dr. Octopus just because, listen, he's the man. He was so good at it, right? Yeah, right. But I don't need you to keep Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire around. I just need, if you want to use it as a way to just introduce these villains or characters in as the MCU's now version of them, even though they do have some kind of past that, that we can know that's where I'm okay with it. But like you said, I don't want to have like every other, like DC universe, for example, they're just like, Hey, all of our shit sucks right now, pretty much. So let's just make a multiverse and take any character that might be good and put him in and say, all right, Michael Keaton, he was pretty good 30 years ago or whatever. Let's get him in as Batman. And and I I think like DC's problem there, Jim, and extends to the movies too, is like DC in the comic books has had straight continuity reboots, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, I mean, Final Crisis, right? Where they actually rewrite the past. Marvel, for as many of their different kind of, you know, they never found a new number one that they won't put on an issue, right? They care about selling the comics, but like, Marvel very rarely makes a story whose entire purpose is 
I'm going to negate that story from, from 18 years ago that you may or may not know, because they know that like comics continuity, when you have this many years of, of comics, it's a fool's errand. Even the, yeah. even the biggest fan, you know, there may have been like an inconsistency. Like that's why they have in the old Stanley letters pages, the Marvel no prize where you can come up with a reason as to why their fuck up actually makes sense in continuity. <laughs> and you treat it like it's fun. Not like, Oh my God, we need to rectify this. That like yeah. these two things don't line up. It's like, yeah, they don't line up. There's people making these comics, you know, Superman's not a real person. Somebody yeah. messed up. Move on. <laughs> yeah. And literally the writers change. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to be studying each other and studying every single comic that ever existed. Hey, Jim, I want your new fresh take on Superman, but you got to reference, uh, you know, number 289 <laughs> where Brainiac said this line of dialogue to, to Pa Kent. And don't forget that Lois died in 540, but then she came back in 700. Try to make sense. Of it. You'd be like, no, I don't want to write Superman if I got to deal with that bullshit. Yeah, it's funny going back to what you said about reading 10% of comics. In one of the podcasts, we're talking about Mephisto and how sad is it that the only real thing I can remember about Mephisto is the, is the story arc with Spider-Man and Mary Jane. <laughs> and, he, and, how much, and how much has he been in? You know, and I just can't remember much else besides that storyline. Uh, funny enough, he's actually a uh, spoiler alert for anybody reading Jason Aaron's current Avengers run. He's in it right now. And that could be some cross-brand synergy right there for you uh, Mephisto truthers out there. Yeah. I, I think the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. Like do you, do you it's like a white face art. <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't think he is. No. So, I, so so here's here's my thing, Luke. I think that Mephisto is like a three or four tiers down, like deep cut character, where normally I'd be like, I don't know if he works in the MCU. But I mean, they took the Guardians of the Galaxy, who were like a seven-tier down character, and now you see Groot in Walmart, right? So why can't they make Mephisto work? Like I like the character personally. I my my recommendation would be. I don't know if that's right for, for the MCU, but I, I think he can work. I would like to see him remain a possibility. I just don't know that his involvement is required for me to enjoy WandaVision's conclusion, but I certainly don't want an ending that like rules him out entirely. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I hate to admit that I'm starting to take that path too because we're getting to the end here. I know we still have three hours, which is the equivalent you know, of six yeah, earlier. It's a long episodes. movie, basically. They could still put him in there but it's feeling like we're kind of adding him fourth quarter and i don't i don't really see it <laughs> being a possibility but i did want to ask you of something you just said when you're saying that mephisto is a comic book character is about two or three tiers down that's not based on strength right that's just reputation and stories no that- yeah pure like you know in in comics he, he is a strong character but in terms of like how many good stories has he been in or like his popularity? I'd say he's kind of just a little bit more in the cut, you know, purely in terms of reception. I'm talking. Think of the same story that Jimmy brings up because he told me about the, the marriage. Yeah. One more day. And, and Hey, Hey, they're, they're back together in the comics. That only took him 20 years or whatever. Yeah. Right. 15 years. (laughs) Since Luke's saying that I told him that story, let's just quick give a little background for the fans here or millions of fans on Vince town TV. (laughs) My best friend, Tyler, you're his brother. Yep. So you're two years older and right. I've known you for 20 years. We grew up together pretty much. And I always looked up to you as like an older brother. So when we're younger, I don't really know the exact age, but maybe I'm 10 years old and you might be 12 or maybe I'm 12 and you're 14. You're telling me all these stories about comics and I'm sitting there and I would just listen for hours. You could tell me any story <laughs> you wanted and you could have made it up. You could have, you could have done whatever you wanted, but that's what got me going. And then Luke, for fans that don't know, is my nephew, 
and he's five years younger than me. So everything you would tell me, I would tell him. So it's like we're recycling stories down the line. Got the comics game of telephone going there on there. Go. He exactly. knows what details got lost. I got <laughs> exactly. a good idea. <laughs> but like, you know, it is it is just like, you know, I, I love comic books. I recommend anybody who has any passing interest read them, right? But, it, but it, it's not trivial to say like, well, where do I start? And there's been plenty of people who enjoy the more, you know, I'm not coming in here like, oh, you normies, you only like the MCU. You don't know shit. Like, there's enough MCU content now where you can be a pretty big fan of these characters having never consumed a comic. But I just think it's really cool how the comics influence the movies, which in turn influence the comics. Like, I mean, they literally had, I said Marvel typically is not as bad as DC and doing like this kind of injection of continuity but they had an entire storyline about how dick fury is black now basically to make it match the movies like oh they, actually they, i didn't know that they did <laughs> I, I mean i know ultimate nick fury was black oh well jim they couldn't well secret wars they combined yeah. the two universes but they yeah. couldn't wait for that they had to make his secret illegitimate son nick fury jr <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> which not a great story but you know these things happen and it's funny about pietro and, and wanda as of the current commas continuity they are not mutants <laughs> Yeah, they, exactly. They yeah. retconned them a second time in 2015's Uncanny Avengers by Rick Remender and Daniel Acuna. And you can't tell me that wasn't because they don't have the rights. Yeah. So, like, you know, th- this is going on a seesaw of like, oh, well, are they going to be mutants again in the comics? Probably. But, you know, one influences the other, which then seeps back into the other. And it just kind of makes a very interesting kind of pull of like people's impression of the character is not just what's on the page, but it's kind of like their best story or their worst story. Yeah, and Wanda's had her powers since House of M, right? Because I know she was one of the people that lost him, right? No, she yeah. So that she was off the board for a while. I'm not even entirely sure they had a plan for what to do with her, but she was just out of the comics. Then she showed up in Mighty Avengers around the end of Civil War, and you're going, oh, where'd she come from? And then you kind of came to find out that that story I referenced before by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung, Young Avengers Children Crusade, they found out that she had been brainwashed and she was in Latveria and she thought she was the bride of Doctor Doom the whole time. So that was kind of their their way they set up that he was kind of the big bad in the whole thing, which didn't really stick. And even even today, when she really hasn't been able to like repent for what she did, the mutants are all living on the island of Krakoa, starting their own nation. And they refer to her as like the great pretender. And they tell campfire stories about how she's like the boogeyman, basically. Wow. So that's Jonathan Hickman pretty much leaning into it. Like, why wouldn't in universe the mutants who don't know anything about her and a whole bunch of them died and had to be brought back to life because of that? Why wouldn't they think of her in those terms? Yeah. Yeah. So I just find it funny. Like no matter what you do, like, I mean, they can try to make them not mutants all they want. You know, even when it happened in the comics, people just like, well, they're going to undo this eventually Mm because it's all just, you know, based off of what the writer wants to happen at the time based off of like other external factors, but people, people read into it what they want. So I want to bring up a random tangent because I know you just mentioned Dr. Doom a little bit right there, connect to Scarlet Witch. So I've been bringing it up because I'm pretty fascinated with Reddit and I love getting a pulse of like how the community's thinking about what's going on. So I'm always just constantly reading stuff. And of course, naturally, people are going to harp on every single line of dialogue in the show. And there's been for the last two episodes, Monica has mentioned whether it be with the getting a text in the most recent episode or two episodes ago, she just had an offline script about an aerospace engineer that's going to help her with a plan. So I don't, you know, I've been like looking around and of course people are going to naturally bring up some of the more famous characters because recently in an interview, Elizabeth Olsen, maybe it was a while ago, Elizabeth Olsen 
brought up the idea that someone's going to be in the show that's as big of a cameo as spoiler luke skywalker and mandalorian so of course the thought that we brought up on the podcast is the, the idea that could be mr fantastic or dr doom does that hold any uh water for you I'd be lying if I said when I heard Monica Rambeau say that line that I didn't immediately go to Fantastic Four. And I was kind of, you know, I had heard kind of offhand. I can't remember if I heard it offhand or it was from Bingetown that, that she had made that comment. And I was like, yeah, maybe she was just talking to Evan Peters. But then upon going back and reading it, it's like, no, like clearly she's aware of the weight that comment would hold. It's somebody else, right? So uh, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like Fantastic Four it's been announced, but like, it's not even in pre-production yet. Right. Like that would be right. like a 2024 movie, I believe. Probably. Yeah. So if we're purely talking about setting up threads that are going to get picked up, honestly, the aerospace engineer she might be referring to might be uh Riri Williams, who's Ironheart because we know her series is coming out on Disney plus. I did read that. Yeah. So I could see that being the case, but then that would make that an entirely separate thread from the cameo thing that she talked about because Ironheart's not a big cameo. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, and again, like... It, I just hope... Who, I just, who would say we couldn't have Michael Fassbender make an appearance as her projection of what she thinks her father is, right? That like, would count. Yeah, opinion. that would count. Magneto that yeah. would count. I mean, we said that Magneto definitely counts. Obviously, a quick, like, Hugh Jackman Wolverine would <laughs> count, even though we know that that won't be Wolverine in the MCU. It would just be another... You know, thing like that. But get some odds on that, Jim. What do you think? They're paying five hundred to one on that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so the thing that I don't want, which seems too obvious, is Doctor Strange. Like I want him to show up because I feel like he would make sense because he has such a tie-in with Billy and Tommy and and Scarlet Witch and obviously Multiverse of Madness is coming. But I don't think he's a surprise. I don't think he's a good cameo up to Luke Skywalker just because <laughs> of the fact that you're not shocking me. Same with Spider Man. I feel like Same he falls into that category. Yeah. It's funny too. Here we go. Like the things said outside of the immediate viewing experience are just as important, right? We are rightfully setting our expectations based off an interview that she gave, but like, Hey, she said it. And uh, mm -hmm. if we saw Dr. Strange and Spider-Man in the series and she had never given that interview, we would think it was really cool. But now everything we're seeing, we're measuring against that expectation. So hopefully yeah. uh, she was aware of the hype she was going to put I've also there. I've also read that Elizabeth Olsen is one of the actors in the MCU that knows her source material very, very well. Yeah. So I think she knows the weight of the words when she's saying that. Even, right. Even if she's not very comfortable with Star Wars and knowing what Luke Skywalker meant, she <laughs> she knew what she was doing there. I think she knew what she was so doing. So iconic. There. And that's also the kind of thing that like you're doing a press tour when you give that, right? Like your handlers from Disney are not going to let you just say that off the cuff, right? Right. Like, that got approved. <laughs> yeah, right. And that would get cut. They, they would be like, no, right, no. no. That was off the record. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> so. so yeah, definitely another question that I want to ask now that we're talking about the cameo is the situation with the multiverse where for example we have this confirmation we don't have confirmation yet of toby and andrew garfield but we do have confirmation of sony characters dr octopus green goblin yeah these are all being confirmed as jamie fox too jamie fox is electro yeah right right so we have that situation we know a multiverse movie is coming with dr strange what is your take on this whole x-men situation i personally don't feel 100 percent comfortable with the fact that we're going to see origin stories for these 
X-Men because I understand that you might be pigeonholed, but at the same time, for some reason, I'm okay with it being Fantastic Four given an origin story, but I'm not okay with all of a sudden there's a Magneto that's just like, hey, I'm 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 getting my powers and I'm Magneto or or Professor X. They are Captain America, Iron Man, they need to be established. That's why I want the multiverse to exist. And then to just say, here's Michael Fassbender, here's James McAvoy, just because I want them to have existed already at some point. I go back and forth on it, just like you. I agree with that. I think that it's it's a blessing and a curse to have those properties back because how they integrate them is really going to be, you know, a landing they have to stick that's going to inform a large portion of the remaining MCU and, and as far as how much I'm interested in it, to be frank. Um, like, I think that, like you pointed out, Jim, the audience's uh, stomach for origin stories is, is like not there, right? Yeah. The people who are not hardcore fans who are already might be getting put off by the likes of WandaVision, right? They don't want another origin story. And then people like us are like, okay, I'm glad to see the character, but like, you know, can you cut to the chase? So you, you think about like, you know, if WandaVision is kind of pulling double duty and being the origin story of Monica Rambo as becoming Spectrum, that's great. But I don't want a standalone, you know, series for her. But mutant characters like Professor X, Magneto, Wolf, I mean, these are these are some of the biggest characters in Marvel on par with all the other Avengers characters that got their own movie. So to recast them and not reference Fox, but not give them their own kind of origin movie seems like the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. But then to just bring in the Fox mutants over the course of another movie's plot, while that might be the best thing to do for the end result, is that actually going to be a good movie? You're just kind of like, yeah. you know, you're just connecting the dots that you have to, like, it's more of an exercise than it is like an actual movie. So I really don't know where I'd go with it. I, I just, I, I do share the sentiment with you, though, that, like, we've already had some good performances from some of the actors in the Fox movies, but they're kind of hit and miss, right? So, like, you're going to make it even more confusing by picking and choosing which that, ones you pull in. That's, that's what that's I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we already know that Wolverine is going to be different in the MCU. We we know it's not going to be Hugh Jackman, and there's major rumors that he's not even going to be, at first, a main character. And he's just going to be used as the Wolverine character, as a side character for certain situations. Which, you know, in the comics, he didn't originate in the X-Men, so I can get behind that. Right. So is it just going to be like, here's Michael Fassbender, here's James McAvoy, nobody else? Or is it going to, you know, like, are you allowed to pick and choose? Or are you just going to say, okay, well, that means that we have everybody from Fox is available. That's tough, too. I mean, it's really, it's like you said, it's a tough situation to be in. And like, is it yeah. is it Ryan Reynolds confirmed Deadpool's yeah. going to be in the MCU? So that's going to be complicated, and it's going to be fun though because he's going to help maybe explain it fourth wall wise. Just right, throwing but, but I feel like like a Deadpool movie with Ryan Reynolds will revel in the fact that he's in the MCU. Yeah. But if anybody's going to be looking for that movie to be like the definitive in continuity explanation as to how they're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. Like, right, it's right. just going to make fun of it. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just going to be breaking the fourth wall, being like, right. "Hey, Josh Brolin, I know him." <laughs> <laughs> And the other thing too, like just just beyond the difficulty of whether you want to do recasting and the difficulty of these characters that carry all this weight that you need to integrate and not kind of retread over them, just the core concept of mutants now being a thing in the MCU, when you're ready to pull the trigger on that, you cannot do that lightly. That changes the entire basis for operation in the MCU. Frankly, through the years in the comics, they haven't always struck that balance well either. There's a lot of, you know, there's stories, right? You have to uh, kind of have a, a certain amount of um, suspension of disbelief, but there's plenty of times it's like, oh man, 
Genosha got completely blown up and they genocided all these mutants and the Avengers are like, ah, oh, what happened over there? Like they didn't, you know, yeah. they didn't do anything, right? Like yeah. when you have like the mutant metaphor of these are people that that are feared and oppressed for no reason of their own. And whether you want to apply, you know, the MLK and Malcolm X allegory, LGBTQ plus people, like that metaphor works in so many different stories. And you can also apply kind of like, you know, there's a reason there's so many kind of future timelines with the X-Men because they're about evolution. They're about like, where are we headed? Mm-hmm. And all those different core elements of the mutant concept are like my favorite thing in comics. But you don't just like, oh, people are born with powers now. And that's the end of that. Like you have to be ready to deal with like, the social ramifications of what that means in the MCU. And frankly, given the times we live in right now, you know, I think that's actually something that, that they could pull off of like, just, yeah, yeah like let's lean into, you know, a movie about people that are, that are oppressed and that through no fault of their own and, and make them heroes. But like, you don't just flip the switch and here's 20. Yeah, like, I mean, he, I mean, honestly, what they could do is like we were saying, maybe towards the end of WandaVision, if they want to activate the X gene, have, have the hexagon take over the, the entire earth, have her incapacitated, however you want to make the X hexagon disappear. And if that activates the X gene, do that. But then just sprinkle X-Men in for the next four or five years and, and make that be a thing where they're starting to be oppressed. And, the, and it's a thing that's in the background. And then in five years, when Professor X and Magneto show up, they are, you know, they've been around. Right. They're not just, hey, I'm Magneto. What's up? <laughs> right. You know? They've been in the other movies in low in like right. little roles, but like this kind of like you know civil rights problem has been brewing, and they've been right. brewing to it. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean it's it's a shame for us because we want to see X Men ASAP, but that's right. just how it probably should work. I don't know like what the, the multiverse of man is, or even Spider Man Three is going to be. Is that introducing a multiverse where at any point in time they can introduce these characters, or is it just going to be like you know they even said it's almost like a horror movie, like hey. Here's this horror movie. Here's some multiverse situations, and we're done with it. And that's it for now. You know, hey, we just we just saw Michael Fassbender (laughs) or whatever for a second, and we're never gonna see him again because just like Evan Peters, maybe we're using him for a second, and we're never gonna see him again. I think they're gonna try to to walk that line, right? They're gonna they're gonna make it canon that these other universes do exist and can be accessed, but then they're gonna just kind of close off that initial storyline with Doctor Strange. Hey, they're out there, but they didn't all just drop into the MCU, right? Because like, you, you got to be careful with that. If if you can pull in any, oh, you know, Spider Man died. Let me just go, you know, grab Spider Man twenty ninety nine in here, right? Like, yeah. there's no there's no stakes if if you lean too much into into the multiverse concept. Yeah, and I feel like if I bring up Spider Man three too much, we're getting in, way too into a <laughs> rabbit hole. But the one problem that I see with that too is that there's major rumors that. Norman Osborn, they want to be a, a big, big bad. There was already a, a thing back in the day where they wanted Oscorp to be a part of the background and they just couldn't get it in for one of the movies. Right. So they want him to be established as a bad guy. Are you going to make it Willem Dafoe? Yeah. Or again, is Spider-Man through a one-time thing or is it going to be, hey, let's show Willem Dafoe because he's confirmed, but then we'll reestablish Green Goblin later as another Norman Osborn. I, it's it's crazy. You can think about a million yeah. different situations. I mean, we, we already have encountered, you know, a, you know uh, Hulk was recast, right? War Machine was recast. So I think that we have to kind of, we have to be able to accept both just normal business changes of characters, as well as like actual references to previous movies, whether they were in the MCU or not. And on a case by case basis, is this just, 
frankly, they had to get a new actor or does it have in continuity meaning? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still have hopes that Spider-Man 3 is going to be the best. Oh, I still think ever. it's going to be awesome. 100%. Oh, if you're putting it up against its predecessor, regular Spider-Man 3, that means oh, a my goodness. piece of shit. So, I can't, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, so I guess um, anybody who may have listened to this and may have had, you know, a passing um, experience with comic books or, you know, hey, you never read one, but you're kind of interested in some of the backstory here or, or you're, uh, you know, watching of WandaVision has piqued your interest. If you like the X-Men and... I think most people do if they give them a chance. I cannot recommend highly enough uh, the story House of X, Powers of Ten. It's a miniseries by uh, Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, and R.B. Silva. It came out in 2019, and the after effects of it are continuing through the, the line of, of X-Men comics right now. But you can read House and Powers as kind of a, a self-contained mutant you know, relaunch. And um, I don't think it's a you know, going back to the kind of rights conversations we had before. I don't think it's a coincidence that like the X-Men are kind of treading water, never really introducing new characters for the early part of the two of the 2010s, just kind of being bad. And then now that they're all under the Disney roof, let's bring in a big name writer. Let's give him, you know, top flight artists and let him tell a story that is uh, one of the better X-Men stories and most daring X-Men stories, at least in terms of premise that I've ever read. So I can't recommend it highly enough. I guess to give you the elevator pitch of it is that, I said kind of before about like the, the mutant metaphor is, is inherently strong and you can kind of use it in different types of storylines. Well, Jonathan Hickman had no interest in kind of continuing down the line of like, oh, we're hated and feared. We're on the run. We're powerless. He's, he pretty much imagines the world in which the mutants win, right? Like they have decided enough is enough and they pretty much become separatists and they go to the island of Krakoa, which was the island that the original X-Men got trapped in way back in giant size X-Men number one. And this is their new, their new home. And they declare that Krakoa is for all mutants. So there's no evil mutants, good mutants fighting amongst each other. All mutants are on Krakoa. They have their own governing body. They declare themselves a sovereign state and pretty much tell the rest of the world, do not mess with us. (laughs) Who are some of the leaders of that? Uh, it, it's Professor X and Magneto, oh, and behind the scenes, uh, a large, large role for Moira McTaggart, who you may remember as Rose Byrne from the Fox movies, but she was Charles's love interest in the past and, you know, had the Muir Island storyline, but was never a big deal. Yeah, they pretty much made her one of the linchpins of the entire storyline in a way that I won't spoil, but that, like, made me literally, like, put the book down and go, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, I mean, um, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So uh it does reference a lot of past continuity, but in a way that doesn't require you to have read the previous things, right? There's kind of like it's just so slick and modern. There's like data pages throughout mm-hmm. and like different charts and graphs. It's just really cool. It has huge ideas, a lot of which haven't completely played out yet. You know, House of X is set in the current time. Powers of Ten, they kind of go off the the uh, the fact that Grant Morrison said the Weapon X program is in, in fact the Weapon Plus program, and Weapon X, which is Weapon Ten, the Roman numeral. So they're playing on that to say, what about the X Men? Ten years in the past, current, a uh, hundred years in the future, a thousand years in the future, and all those kind of things work together into the fact that they've won by declaring themselves sovereign in in modern times. But I won't give away the ending. But it has to do with Moira and a secret that. They cannot let anybody else know. And it's just fantastic. It, so it's, good. it's so good. 
It really is. I mean, you texted me right away <laughs> and you're like, listen, get on the Comixology app. You're going to be following right this every. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, you had me. You were pumping me before it came out. So I think I was fully from the beginning. Right. Or, or was there? A few oh, yeah. Out? Yeah. 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 You were off in the jump. Jonathan Hickman is one of my favorite writers lately. Like he did Secret Warriors with Nick Fury. He did the Avengers run that led into Avengers and new Avengers that led into Secret Wars. My favorite Marvel event of all time. And now he's writing X-Men. The guy can do no wrong. He wrote, you know, for Image, he wrote a book called East of West. He's a fantastic creator. Big ideas. Gives you a good jumping on point, but doesn't hold your hand very much like WandaVision, where it's like, hey, you can start here. We're going to throw some crazy stuff at you, and you're along for the ride. And uh, just like the willingness to say, we're going to take mutants into the future, and uh, all the, the common you know tropes that they have fallen prey to over the years, I won't spoil this part either, but they, they don't apply anymore. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's, just, it's just really, really cool. One of my friends who doesn't read too many comics, but it's into the X-Men. I told him to read it cold. He read it. He thought it was fantastic. So, mm-hmm. hey, support your local comic shop if you can. <laughs> but I know there's not as many as there used to be. So if you'd rather re- read it digitally, Comixology app on your phone. I think you can buy the collected edition for like 20 bucks right now. And give the I, name of highly recommend it. Uh, it's called House of X, Powers of Ten. There are two six-issue miniseries that kind of weave back and forth. But in the collected edition, it presents them in the in the proper order. I might reread it, man. Oh, you you dude. gave me the order of what I start. I need to start reading next, and I'm reading so much stuff at once. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, and I now you got me pumped for it again. <laughs> I mean, Jim, issue four, the mother mold scene, the Wolverine and Nightcrawler. I mean, yep. I tear up. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know, Nightcrawler is my boy, and I've been yeah. waiting for him to be doing something for a long time. So, well, that's doing something, all right, <laughs> dude. We learned a lot. That was incredible. That was beyond what I even had in my head. How just how detailed you are and well spoken about some of these these broader issues, especially outside of the screen, which is like you keep saying, very important specifically for Marvel and what's going on with everything behind the scenes. It's fun, right? People uh find me like a you know, wrestling fan who doesn't talk about kind of the storylines that they're writing behind the scene. You think they've had to watch every single episode of raw dating back to the seventies to know it. It's a lot like, you know, Marvel comics in that way. Yeah. It's kind of, it just makes it unique that some of these, uh, you know, fan bases are, are kind of, um, so in the weeds with some of these details, but I love it. My last thing I wanted to say was that I pretty much, you know, any theory that you talked about and you gave the nod to, you kind of convinced me for most of them, <laughs> but I, I'm going to keep my opinion out there that I'm still holding in there for Mephisto. So Hopefully that happens in the last three hours we have left of WandaVision. I think it's entirely possible. I will go on record as saying like an actual name drop and like, oh, no, it's Mephisto. I just don't see that coming, but I could be wrong. I could dream. Zach, we talked about this off pod as well, man. I I want that mirror thing to be a thing because I caught it myself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You showed me that you showed me it and it's no more of a reach than a lot of these other theories. And like that's a very deliberate framing of that shot by the director. So I wouldn't be surprised. It's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you can obviously put Mephisto in and he doesn't have to be anything past WandaVision. I mean, he's not going to be a big bad Thanos or anything like that, but you could definitely put him in and make him do something here and there, maybe be a part of Multiverse of Madness. You can make him serve the plot purpose of just, he's how the children were created and then shuttle off into the background, but also leaving the door open for if you decide you want to do something with him later. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, Zach, we could talk to you forever, man. You have an open invitation <laughs> anytime. I think we should definitely get you back on after episode nine at some point so we can yeah. talk about the entire show. If you have time at some point, definitely during uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. But great talking to you, man. Yeah, thanks um, for having me on, guys. All right, guys, it's going to do it for us. Keep an eye out for our continued coverage of WandaVision. We're going to be covering each episode of this season week by week. As always, if you like what you heard, give Binge Down TV a follow on Instagram and Twitter and check us out at BingetownTV.com. We're available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Once again, we are Bingetown TV, and thank you for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 